Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come to hear your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. You would convince us and challenge us. You will change us to be like Jesus. For this is our desire. Amen. I have a couple of things to show you this morning. Um, they are my medals for running uh, 10, 5, 21K. They're uh, different medals from different places. They're uh, all lovely, they all make me proud. But uh, there is one, if it was on display, you would wonder why it's there. It's actually a chocolate medal. Um, I haven't done very good marathons. I've not beaten my personal best, but my aim is to keep my time constant. I'm showing them for you today so you can see how good I am at running. <laughs> but also, to make a point about the sermon that we're going to hear. After the first lockdown, I set myself a challenge to go back to running half marathons. One Saturday, I set off with the hope of completing 21K around the boroughs in North London. I headed off out towards Stratford. As I was running along the canal, I realized that my app that measures how far I have gone was not working. So I'm going, ah, that wasn't what I said. Um, I then had to reset the watch, got it all back on. And from there, the, the run became more and more complicated. I went towards Stratford and I ended up on Highgate Hill. If you've got any sense of geography, you know, it's a long way. <coughs> While on Highgate Hill, I popped into Acosta. Other coffee shops are available. And to get a bottle of water, because I was quite dehydrated at this point. And in the Costa was my little chocolate medal. And I decided that I was going to buy myself a medal for working so hard, so foolishly, and uh, because it made me feel good. And when I got home, I enjoyed eating the chocolate. And it was about, and as I remember and look at that medal, as it sits on a medal rack, that sounds very good. It's a, it's a, door, it's a door hanger with all the medals on it, nothing posh. I look at it and I remember the hardship, the difficulty, and the problems that I had to complete just for a chocolate medal. Let's pause for a moment. I want you to think about things that you are proud of, things that you can boast about doesn't just have to be yourself, it could be other things, it could be things other people have made you proud of them for. 
If you've got any suggestions, you can voice them. I'm sure I will try and understand them through your masks. It's not a rhetorical question, honestly. No? You've got nothing to be proud of? Or are you thinking that it's too, un too unbiblical to be proud of things? <laughs> Some things that are on my mind uh, today uh, is that today is my sister and brother-in-law's ruby wedding anniversary. 40 years together. I can't say neither a crossword because that would be a lie. But, you know, it was tough and has been tough. Um, and neither of them are too well. Today is the 73rd anniversary of the birth of the NHS. This week, we've seen the passing of Joel Edwards, a prominent and successful ethnic minority pastor and leader in the wider British church. Today is also American Independence Day. Did you remember that? Some Americans amongst us will. This week, we've seen the Methodist Conference voting unambiguously for the consecration of same-sex marriage in their buildings and by their clergy. We should have a whoop, whoop. And then, of course, just because I am culturally relevant, England in the semi-finals of the Euros, okay? I, I will, I will, I'll just mention it. Don't expect any more. <laughs> Our Bible reading is part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This is probably the fourth letter he wrote to them. First Corinthians being the first letter. That's quite easy to understand. The second letter was sent out of frustration. Paul sent it with a heavy heart. The reception was not heralded. And apparently, no copies of this epistle is available today. I wonder why. Paul had written to them to challenge the church to heed the truth and the traditions given to them by the Apostle Paul. Paul mentions letter number two in 2 Corinthians verse 7, verses 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians, as we call it, is possibly letter three and four merged as we have it. Paul, when he's writing his letter, is longing to visit the church, to heal and to rebuild the relationships. His travel plans were thwarted by circumstance. So from Macedonia, he writes to them, then sends off Titus to them as a sign of his commitment to the church and as part of Paul's fundraising for efforts for the poorer churches across Asia. Throughout the book, Paul uses the word boast 21 times. Some say that is the way he uses it is in reference to Jeremiah 9 verse 22, which says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, nor the strong man boast of his strength, nor the rich man boast of his riches. 
Paul, in writing this letter, opens up about his suffering for being an apostle of Jesus Christ. His distress caused by that same calling and his position in the church, which the Corinthians had diminished. He was having a real tough time. Paul, in a time of frailty and humanness, humanness, has been frustrated by his inability to travel, to see the church, the isolation from his companions who sent him, who, they, who he sent away on mission opportunities. He had experienced physical pain too. He had been persecuted physically. As Paul is writing this letter, he takes the opportunity to share his life experiences, his frustrations, his vulnerabilities, to reestablish the relationship with this church. This sort of reminds me of the model of citizenship congregational development that some of our church members are learning to practice. Relational, informing relationships. Paul pointed out the evidence of his acceptance as an apostle was not based on the approval of man, but the appointment of God. Here in chapter 12, Paul introduces the concept of those who have seen visions of heaven. I haven't. In contemporary thought, there were three heavens. The blue sky, heaven one. The starry sky, heaven two. And the place where God lived and reigned, the third heaven. So the visionary is with God. This is what Paul is saying. The visionary is with God. Paul writes about this in a third person. Who is this third person? Well, I'm now coming to believe that it's Paul. Because he falls into the trap that most of us do when writing things in the third person of putting in me, I, we, us, just a little bit further on after you have forgotten what you're writing in. In verse six and seven, he talks about me and I. Paul was suffering emotionally and physically from the call that was upon his life. And in this, he was given the thorn in his flesh. Every time I've thought of the thorn, I've always thought of it as a little thing that is sort of stuck in your finger. You know, that little thorn from the garden, that splinter from the cupboard that you've opened. But the Greek word is more about a tent peg or a lath, a big splinter of wood that was used you know, in a big way. But having had a six inch nail through my foot and having experienced a thorn, the pain from the thorn, which is consistent and annoying, is actually more relevant, I think, to Paul's situation. It was consistent, it was annoying. And that drives us down. I'm not going to even imagine what the thorn in the flesh was, 
You know, some people say he had cataracts, some, and, and it just goes on. There's a long list. The sermon would go on for hours, just trying to work out what his thorn was. But one thing I do know, that his thorn was nothing that wasn't common to human beings. You know, he didn't have sort of the devil sitting on his shoulder. You know, he had a problem that wouldn't go away. And what impresses me about Paul is here he is opening up to the church and he's saying that for three times I pleaded, I pleaded with God that it might be taken away. Paul, the great apostle's prayers, apparently not being answered. Oh, it's God's will. Paul decides not only to accept his situation, he embraces it and boasts about it as a weakness. That is keeping him humble. In the church in the 20th century, we have more people who want to be conquerors rather than reliers on God. How do we, as a fellowship and individuals, develop a reliance and a resilience on God that allows us to be like Paul and embrace our suffering. No, I'm not saying we should deliberately seek martyrdom. I'm not saying we should make life difficult for ourselves, but I am reminded of the story of the fleas in the concentration camp, in the biography of Corrie Ten Boon. In the barracks, those there were complaining bitterly about how many fleas they had to put up with. They were infestated. But as they began to realize, the guards hardly ever came into that barrack because they didn't want to catch the fleas. They didn't want to have to deal with the fleas. And here, Corrie Ten Boom's sister Betsy prays and thanks God for the fleas. There was a purpose, there was a reason. But throughout this letter, Paul is given evidence of his call, his ministry, and his apostleship. And we have arrived at the point in chapter 12 where he speaks regardless of his history, his trials, his supernatural experience, and comes to the fact that it's all about God and God's grace. He has pointed out that the church on the evidence should vindicate and validate his ministry. But even if they don't, God has and will continue, even through the difficulties. I'm aware that as a fellowship, our ministry is being diminished by others. What I can hope is that regardless of others and their opinions, we are confident in what God has called us to do as a fellowship, to be inclusive, to be supportive, to be encouraging, to be enabling. 
of those who are often outcasts. As individuals, we need to move to the acceptance of God's validation, not man's, and it's not easy. You know, I love my medals. I loved wearing the t-shirts as I walked up the road and people go, yeah. I've loved wearing my running, my running t-shirts on the canal and seeing other people going past going, I done that one too. That whole community and validation and love and acceptance from people you don't even know. And I am reminded of that verse from Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an important verse for me. It's the one that has informed my gradual, inclusive, accepting ministry, not just of others, but actually of myself. That no matter what, God loves me. And this passage has brought me to this place today. Today, is a special day, a proud day for me. I want to boast of it. 10 years ago, I left the Baptist church because I had finally come to the end of my self-loathing. I'd made a stand of being who I knew I was, but I also knew by making that stand of coming out as gay that it would ruin my relationship with my home church the church I was ministering in, and the Baptist Union. And I then spent seven years supporting churches whom I had known in those previous 20 odd years in ministry, but who didn't really know me. And when they got to know me, it wasn't always nice. So today, I stand in front of you as a member here in Bloomsbury, leading, preaching, setting aside the elements of communion. I'm overwhelmed by the acceptance and the welcome you have shown me, especially when you consider that my husband, I'm going to say that again, my husband is in the congregation. It's not that he's here that's special, it's the fact that he's here and you know, and it's okay because neither death nor life can separate us. It's not always easy. We have to work hard. We might have to put up with others disassociating with us. We might have to suffer, but validation is from God. And that is an experience that we have within us. And as my chocolate medal reminds me, it's difficult It's tough, but you will get to the end and you can enjoy it and reflect on it. Let's just spend a few moments in silence. We pray for those in our congregation who are depressed, who mourn, who are suffering illness themselves 
or who are watching a loved one suffer. For our country, we pray for honesty and integrity in government at local and national levels. We are in awe of the workers and volunteers as the NHS celebrates 73 years of existence, aiming to treat everyone equally, continuing to fight COVID whilst maintaining routine care. We pray for our world, such a small planet in the great scheme of the universe, yet so diverse and unable to live in peace and share resources and respect the environment. We pray for peace, justice, and tolerance in war-torn areas. We pray for leaders of state, that they might make wise decisions, not based on selfish nationalism, but on a respect for all human life, no matter what creed, color, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. We ask for forgiveness for the things that we could do, but through thoughtlessness, laziness, or complacency don't do to make this world a better place. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.